word. Thank you for your prayers. Um, so, you know, one thing that um, I don't think any of us like that much is uh, what I call f- fair weather fans. You know, those fans that are always fans when their team is winning. Well, I don't know if you're planning on watching the Super Bowl today. You probably are. I'm going to watch it. But I can tell you, uh, I don't know if Brother Chip Lappert's in here or not. You hear Brother Chip? But I can tell you, he is not a fair-weathered Bengal fan. That man has been coming in with that Who Day shirt on for years into our Monday morning meetings. And I wanted to say, yeah, who are they? Do the Bengals even have a football team anymore? But he is wearing that shirt proud. He's wearing that Who Day shirt proud. And not only that, he's going around and he's trying to get anybody he can involved in it, even the pastor. Take a look. <laughs> he's carrying that thing everywhere he goes. He's probably got it today. So if you want to put it on and get a picture, he'll probably do it with you. So uh, I'm with you, Chip. Uh, you know, a team that has not even been to the playoffs in some 20-some years and to see them do well. And, you know, I, I hope they win today, quite frankly. Some people will call this Super Sunday because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Every Sunday is Super Sunday when we get to come and be in the presence of God. So we're glad you're here. Uh, We're going to continue our uh, study in the Ten Commandments. When I opened this series, I I shared with you that in the natural world, we as people are very comfortable with this idea of law. And if you break the law, there should be punishment, particularly if we happen to be the victim. When this person broke the law... They need to go before a judge, there's a prosecutor, there's a defense attorney, there's a judge or there might be a jury, and they need to be tried for that. And if they're found guilty, they should be punished. And we're comfortable with that idea. But many, even to include death, and I know that's controversial, I know some don't agree in the death penalty, but even the death or putting them away for the rest of their life, where they can come perfectly comfortable with that. But when we take that same concept and we apply that into the spiritual world to a God who's perfectly just, perfectly righteous. The Word says His law is perfect. People will quick to say, I can't serve a God like that. That you're going to stand before Him. You're going to stand before His perfect law. He's a perfect judge. He's going to judge you. And if you're found a lawbreaker, and we all are, and there's not a covering, and that law that you've broken hasn't been paid for, you will spend eternity as separated him in a place called hell. And people just go, I, I can't serve a God like that. But you know, as I thought through that, I think, you know, one of the things, one of the titles, a couple of titles that we often say, who is Jesus to us? We say he is my savior. And he is. We, we sang about that just a moment ago. He's my Lord, or he should be your Lord. But one thing I think we don't talk enough about that our Lord is also is He is our intercessor. The Bible says that right now He sits at the right hand of God and He makes intercession for us. That's like our defense attorney. And there is a prosecutor. The Bible says that Satan is what? He's the accuser of the brethren. And He's constantly pointing His finger at you and at me and saying, You're not good enough. You failed. You don't deserve to be on that platform singing, up here teaching or preaching or helping with the youth or anything else because you failed and he points and he accuses and he points and he accuses and he says, guilty, guilty, guilty. How many of you have experienced that? I experienced that. But what we have to remind ourselves is I've got a defense attorney. And he's better than Johnny Cochran. He's better than Alan Dershowitz. He's even better than Tom Cruise on A Few Good Men. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says he's been tempted in every way. He knows what we're dealing with, and he makes intercession for us. 
Because he's walked where we've walked. And he's experienced what we've experienced. And if we repent of our sin, and I wanted, I thought that was important because as we go through these commandments and we start to see where we miss them and we all do at times, it's important that we understand that we have an intercessor. That if we fall short, the Bible says if we sin, if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we put practical steps into our life. We get into a good church like this one. We get around people who can hold our arms up and we live it then. And we find that as we get into God's word, that that walk can become easier. And it does. So don't ever forget that you have an intercessor. That you have someone that you have an advocate with the Father in the Lord. The name above all names. We'll be dealing with the third commandment this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Exodus 20 and 7. Exodus 20 and 7. Last week, we dealt with the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make any graven image or have an idol. This morning, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Exodus 20 and 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us through your word into all truth. I thank you that this perfect law that you have given us today still converts the soul. And then also, God, it instructs us in righteousness. I thank you. I thank you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are my advocate. And, Lord, when I fail, when I miss it, when I sin, I have an advocate. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the introduction. There's nothing that identifies a person more clearly than their name. The same can be said of God. Within the name of God are all his attributes. We live in a world where people are quick to defend their name against attack or falsehood. But do not hesitate to take the name of the Most High God in vain. Now, when I I think of this commandment, I think sometimes when we say, don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain, the first thing that comes to people's minds, even believers, is the word GD. Because we, we say, Brother Larry, I don't do that. I don't like that. And I'm with you. Every time I hear that, that sends a shrill up my spine. It makes me angry. It grieves my spirit. I just don't like it because I see it as a slant on my, on my God. But as we go through this, we'll see that that name, there's much more that encompasses it than that. There's much more that encompasses it than that. So I think be careful that we won't say, we can move on to the next one because I don't do that. You can hardly watch a movie today that they do not throw in a GD where it appears to defame the name of God. And that's true. I read recently that when it comes to rating movies, that a movie can keep a PG-13 with that in there. But other foul language, other curse words will move it to an R. But they can leave that in there and leave it a PG-13. Tammy and I recently were at a show. This has been a couple years ago at the DPAC. We, we like those Types of shows we have a friend that invites us from time to time. We're careful about what you go see, some of those things. But this was Schoolhouse Rock. This was a, a, a show on kids and, and high school and the music in the high school. And so we went, and I noticed as we were going in, a lot of parents were bringing their children, you know, because it was geared towards younger people. And we're sitting there in the D-Pack, and right in the middle of that presentation, for no apparent reason, it didn't add anything to it, they threw that out there. A GD come out. 
And it made me so angry. Boy, I wanted to go find out who produced it and choke the life out of them. Because it was unnecessary. And it just seemed like that's their way. And many, it seems like, in the arts and in Hollywood and all, they do that. And it seems to me just as a, an intentional act to defame the name of God. I'd believe that. But, much to my surprise and gladness, when they did that there in the D-Pack, there was a collective whoa throughout that whole place. So I was at least pleased to know I wasn't the only one that thought, why was that even in this show? It didn't need to be here, but it happens. However, we will see as we look at the implications of the commandment, there are many ways in which we do not revere the name of God as we should. First, let's look at the names of God in the Bible. God first reveals his name in Exodus 3, 13 through 15. He's speaking to Moses. He's told Moses, Moses, I want you to go let the, uh, lead my children of Israel, my children out of Egypt, where they're in bondage and oppression. And God meets with Moses at a burning bush. And he tells him this. It says, Then Moses said to God, this is Moses talking to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is having this conversation with God at the burning bush. And he says, They're going to say, What's your name, God? What do you be say to them? And this is God's reply to Moses. He said, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. We sang about that great I am this morning. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all the generations. First he said, I am. I think God said, look, there is no way I can give you a name that's going to fully explain to you who I am. But you go back and tell those ch the children of Israel that I'm going to set free. I am. I am their deliverer. I am their provider. I am their sustainer. You tell Pharaoh, as we said, who can stand against him? Who can stand before the great I am? Pharaoh found out real quick he cannot stand before the great I am. And no one will stand before the great I am. And Jesus went on to say later on in a, in a conversation that he was having with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I won't say it was a conversation, they were ridiculing him, they're calling him all kinds of names. They even say, hey, you even have a demon. And he begins to talk about how he was before Abraham. And they looked at him and said, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. How can you be know about Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And that means to me that that God who has now come down to earth is with me. He is my provider. He's my deliverer. He's my sustainer. And he's all those things to you if you'll put your trust in him. I am. You tell him I am. And then he went on to say, the Lord. The Lord. So that was what was communicated to Moses. The problem came in is then how do you take that then and put it down in writing? How do you take this name, the name above all names, the names that there's no way we can come up with something that encompasses who he really is, and write it? The original writings, the Bible, the very original writings were called autographs. We have none of those anymore. They're all gone. But what happened is shortly after the writings were written down, the autographs, scribes, Jewish scribes were taken. They would, they would handwrite this Bible. 
Could you imagine having to handwrite this? Well, that's what they did. And they were manuscripts. And that's what's been passed down through the years. And as we found some of the older manuscripts, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have found there's been no discrepancies in them. God has protected and preserved His Word. It's amazing when you think about it. But those manuscripts were passed down. But they had to be handwritten. Well, as I studied this, what I found was that some of the Jewish scribes, when they would get down here to where it said this name, I am and the Lord, they would get so nervous. Some of them would go take a bath before they would write the name, and then they'd come back and take a bath after they wrote the name. Some of them would take their quill pen and clean it. Then they would write it, and as they were writing it, they would say, Lord, may I reverence your name as I write it. And then they would clean it when they were done because they had so much reverence for his name. Boy, how far have we come? And that's not to suggest that we do this, but it is to suggest that his name is still holy. But what they came up with, they came up with the Lord, the Lord in Hebrew. If you look in the parentheses, you'll see Y-H-W-H. That's how it was written in Hebrew. Well, how do you pronounce that? As this is passed down through the years, as it's written, how do you pronounce it? And that became a, very, a bit of an issue. So what the earliest scribes did, they took, the, they took the vowels. You notice that early Hebrew word had no vowels in it. Early, earliest Hebrew language had no vowels in it. They took the vowels from the word Adonai, which also means God. And they put that in there to create Yahweh. Yahweh. Which is translated Jehovah God. But what was used over and over and what you will find in your Bible is Lord. So as you're reading your Bible, when you see L-O-R-D all in capitals, that means Yahweh, Jehovah God. That's the best they could come up with because it's holy and it's reverent. That the Lord is used 6,764 times in the Scriptures. So as you read God's Word and you see the Lord, that is the name of Yahweh. But the reason it was so hard to do well, Nick, before I go to that, understand that in Isaiah 9 and 6, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah that would come. And this is what he said of him. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you look at that mighty God in the Hebrew, that is the same word that was used there for Lord, for Jehovah God. That would be the names of the Messiah that would come. But the issue is that it's just not a name, church. It encompasses all the attributes of God, that name. And I've got a few here listed for you. First, self-existent. God always has been. He always will be. He has no beginning. He has no end. I say this and it rolls off my lips. I don't really understand that. But he is who he is. He is God. He's always been and he always will be. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.16, Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. God is holy. He's omnipotent. What does that mean? He's all powerful. Job in 42 and 2 said, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Isaiah 46 and 10, He can declare the end from the beginning, from the ancient times to the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. 
He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. Jeremiah. God said to Jeremiah, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? He's not a God far off. When Paul was witnessing to the saints at Athens, they were very religious people. They had gods for everything. They even had a, a statue to the unknown God. And Paul went up to them and he began to tell them about the true God. And he began to lay out some of his attributes. He said, he, he, don't, he don't live in a temple made of hands. He created everything. Everybody will be judged before him. He sets man in, in, within the time frames and within his boundaries. He lays out some of the attributes of God. But then he said this to him: but he's not very far from any one of us. You might think he's far away from you. There's times he feels like he's far away from us. God, where are you? But he said, I'm, I'm near you. Sometimes I think he's near us when we think he's farthest away from us. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in the secret places? Where are you going to hide from God? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not feel the heaven and the earth, says the Lord? He's everywhere. But the attribute I like the most out of all of these is he is personal. That child that was born in Matthew 1 and 23 that Isaiah prophesied of, the angel said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Everyone, every other religion, it's man's attempt to get to God. I got to try to please God. I got to try to do something. And even then, there's no guarantee I'll be accepted by him. Not true with us. We serve a God who stepped out of heaven, come in, took on flesh, took on the, the, the sin of this world to be personal. And now we get to have a personal, intimate relationship of the God of heaven through Christ Jesus, His Son. He's a personal God. And it's all about love. 1 John 4 and 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for He is love. We say God loves. He don't just love. He is love. And so when we say that name, whatever it is we use in our culture for that name, what we're saying is we're referring to all of his attributes. And I think when we think about that and what he has done for us, it makes us get a, maybe, maybe be a little more like those scribes and say, Lord, may I be ever reverent to your name. But there's many ways in which we're not. Many ways in which we're not. How the Lord's name is taken in vain. First, vain means flippantly or without reverence. It just means flippantly or without reverence, without any thought of these attributes, without any thought of who this God that we serve really is. First, when it's used in vulgar language. I mentioned that before, that it, it just seems to be done all the time. I don't know how many of you see some of the sparring matches that go on between Ron Paul and Anthony Fauci. They go, they go on all the time. Them two go at it over COVID uh, stuff. But recently, when they were going at it, there was a hot mic left on, and Anthony Fauci said the name of Jesus Christ. But he said it real, in a frustrated tone, in an angry demeanor. That's taking God's name in vain. When I saw it, I was like, whoa, you better be careful, Fauci. Be careful. But it's not just that for us as followers of the Lord. Our, all of our speech should be clean. All of our speech should be edifying. Ephesians 5 and 4, Paul talking to the church at Ephesus said this, Let neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, 
but rather giving of thanks. So let not foul language come out of my mouth. Certainly let not anything that, like we spoke about with the GD or the people saying, let that. And if it does, church, we repent. I can say things. You've said things sometimes in frustration that I wish I hadn't said. And it's at that moment I have to say, God, help me. Forgive me for the thought that just went through my head, maybe for the words that just cracked my lips, and forgive me. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us. When it's used as an oath improperly. Oaths were a big deal in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.12 said, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. It was a big deal. You didn't use God's name. You didn't make an oath and use his name that you didn't keep it. And it was a big deal. And sometimes they used it and they used it falsely or they used it flippantly. Probably the most extreme case of that was in one of the judges named Jephthah. Jephthah was going into battle. I think it was against the Amorites, pretty sure. And he said to God, if you'll give me victory, when I get home, the first thing that comes through my door, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering to you. That, that, was, that was flippant. That was foolish. And when Jephthah won the battle, and he did, and he got home, guess what the first thing that come through his door was? His daughter. Well, he got a mess now, doesn't he? And the Bible says he sacrificed her on a burnt offering. Now, there are some scholars that say, that, that, that uh, disagree on that. Some say but that by that what they meant was she went up to the hills, remained a virgin for the rest of her life, was never married, never had kids, and, sat, and, and offered herself as a service to the Lord for the rest of her life. But many, including Jack Hayford, believes that he sacrificed her. And you might say, what kind of crazy stuff is this? First of all, that would have been direct violation of God's commands not to sacrifice humans. And, and, and number two, it, he should have never made a flippant vow. And what it says in the Judges, in the book of Judges, it says that people did what was right in their own eyes. It shows us how far and how depraved and the things that we can do when we don't keep our eyes on God and keep ourselves grounded in His Word. But that's how seriously they took those vows. Well, Jesus comes along. And you'll hear this for the first time here, and you'll hear it many more times as we go through. Because I told you that the prophet Jeremiah said, I'm going to take those commandments off those stone tablets in the Old Covenant. And I'm going to take it in the new covenant and I'm going to put it right here. I'm going to make them personal. And that's what the Lord did. And so for the first time, you're going to hear the Lord say this. You'll hear this several times. You've heard it written or you've heard it said, but I say to you. And this is what he says here in Matthew 5, through 34. He's talking once again to some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, again, you have heard it said, heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. Now, I stopped that there, but he said, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, and don't swear by Jerusalem. That's what he told them. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as many times, they didn't keep their own rules. They had come up with a little rule that said, you know, I'm, if I'm going to swear on something that I really don't intend to do, or I may do it, or I may not do it, I'll swear by heaven or I'll swear by Jerusalem or the earth because they knew if I swear by God's name, I'm bound to that. So, so they were saying, I may or may not do this. 
But here's what Jesus said to them, which is for us today in Matthew 5 and 37. He said, but let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Jesus just said, my followers, my people, you, me, we need to be people of truth. We need to let our yes be our yes. If I say yes, I will tell the truth. Yes, I will do that for you. Yes, you can count on me. You should be able to count on us. We should be people of truth and people of our word. But is that true today? No. Some of you know Tammy and I have a real estate business. When I first got my real estate license, the offer to purchase and contract was four pages. It's 13 now. Do you know why? Because people invent ways not to do what they say they're going to do. And every time it changes, they have to add another paragraph, add another page. There used to be a day when a man or a woman's word was their bond, particularly if they were to follow the Lord. We need to be people of truth. But he, but he didn't stop with let your yes be your yes. He also said let your no be your no. And no is a powerful word. Because there are people in your life that will come in and they'll want you, and they have good intentions. They want you to do something for them. Maybe they want you to take a job or do something. If that's not for you, if it's not the call for God in your life, you know it's not for you, don't be afraid to say no. No, I can't do that for you. What I wrote in my notes as I did this, what was dropped into my spirit is this. Be sensitive to the call of God in your life. Because people will come in and want you to do things, and, and they have good intentions. But what is God leading you to do? And if that's not for you, let your no be your no. Let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. How about when it's used as a business slogan? Have you ever seen this? Christian-owned business. Now, I told you, I don't want to slip into legalism. I just want you to think about this. First of all, we were first called Christians. The Bible says we were first called Christians at Antioch. Christ and his followers, Christ was, uh, had ascended. His followers were still on the earth. And at Antioch, they were started to referring to them and now us today as Christians. Now, unfortunately, I think that's been so watered down in the American culture. This is not new. It's happened in times past in other cultures that now many Americans, they're Christians because they're Americans. But still, Christian is still a, a term for us. Christ. We're to be like Christ. And if I'm going to lay that out there as a business slogan, then I'm, I'm going to uphold it. So if you're going to put it out there, uphold it. But I hate to say in our culture, a lot of times when I see Christian-owned business, I hate to say this, but sometimes I get immediately suspicious. I hate that about myself, but I do. I'm like, oh boy. Because if I go into a Christian-owned business, I expect certain things. I expect to be treated fairly. I expect to get a fair price, get a fair service. I don't expect to walk into a brick-and-mortar environment and see things on the wall that shouldn't be on the walls or hear discussion that I... And, and sometimes I know they can't control their employees. But there's nothing wrong with being a Christian-owned business. But just and, 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 and another question for us in that is, why do you put it out there? Is it to pull a certain demographic? Is that why you really put it out there? Let me tell you who does that all the time, and I can't stand it, it's politicians. They get up there all the time, and they're, 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 they're fighting for that evangelical voting block. I think at the DMIP a couple times, we've had some people running for office, Pastor Don, and I came in and he asked me about it when they left. I said, I think I got pandered to. I did. I, I, don't, I think they told us what we wanted to hear. They used all the right words, but I wasn't really sure that they were followers of the Lord. 
but they wanted our vote. So I'll use that name if it'll get my vote. And we have, we have Christians or we have politicians. Sometimes they come up and they use scripture and they use God's word. And it just makes me sick. When it's used as a business slogan. Lastly, when it's used as a method for any self-benefit. I'm going to give you a very, very current illustration of this. And it is in the religious exemption to the vaccine. Now, one of the things that concerns me about what's going on in our culture today is I do feel like we're losing our religious freedoms. They're being, they're, they're pushing on. And if someone has a religious exemption from something, they should be able to stand on their convictions. I believe with that with all my heart, to include the vaccine. But a lot of people are throwing that name out there just so maybe they can keep from doing something they want to do. A couple months ago, I was talking with a guy that I know. He didn't want to get a vaccine. It's not, this is not about the vaccine, but he didn't want to get it. But he was in detriment with his job if he didn't. So we were having this discussion about the vaccine mandate. He looks at me, and he does this. I'll show you his body language. He goes, I asked for a religious exemption. He did it just like that. And what his body language said to me is, now I don't know that enough, the guy well enough to know if he's really a follower of the Lord. But what he was saying to me is, you know, I really probably don't qualify for it. I probably don't even go to a church. I'm certainly not going to, you know, not do anything I don't want to do. I'm certainly not going to give anything to build the kingdom of God. But if it'll benefit me, I'll throw his name out there. And that, my friends, is taking the Lord's name in vain. That's emptying it all its attributes and saying at this moment and this time, that'll help me, so I'll just use it. Any self-benefit. But how do we reverence it? There's a positive implication to everything. How do we reverence it? Jesus modeled this in the opening prayer of the Lord's Prayer. When he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Before he even started praying, he said, Father, your name is holy, holy, holy. And we should always know that that name is holy. And reverence at such. This goes right along with what Sister Christie said this morning. Our obedience to his word is reverence to his name. That's how we know. That's how we, people know that we're called by his name. If you've ne never read Deuteronomy 28, you can take and circle that, not just Deuteronomy 28.10, but read Deuteronomy 28 today. It's broken up into two sections. God is speaking to Moses. He says, if you keep my commandments, this is how I'll bless you. If you don't, if you're disobedient, this is what's going to happen. This is the curses that's going to come. And he summarizes, he finishes the idea of the blessing in Deuteronomy 28 and 10. He says, then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. How do they see that you are called by the name of the Lord? Back then, it's because they were obedient to God. Today, it's because we're obedient to God. That's how we know that we are called by the name of the Lord, by our obedience. That's what separates us. That's what they visibly see, called by His name. And if you're here today and you've put your trust in Christ as your Savior, you're called by His name. And he goes on to say, and they shall be afraid of you. 
People are not going to be afraid of us in the natural today, but just in it said the I am that the demons run and flee. When you carry the presence and the power of the great I am through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you walk into a hotel room somewhere where somebody's in need, you walk into a hospital room, the very power and the presence of God goes in there with you. And we should exercise it. But we have to walk in there with an obedient heart. Perfection? No. But an obedient heart and an obedient spirit to the Lord. That's how they know that we're called by our name. Lastly, we never compromise that he is the name above all names. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. The name of Jesus is the only way in which mankind can be saved. And we never, ever compromise that. I get a subscription to a magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs. And every time I get that magazine and I flip through it, I'm like, man, look, my, my faith don't really cost me a whole lot. I'm just being honest. There's people out there who are giving everything. They live in countries. Their very lives are on the line. Christian martyrdom is as uh, high as it's ever been. People who are giving everything they got for the name of the Lord. And it makes me feel like a weak Christian at times. And I think at times I am because I still live in a culture where I don't have those types of pressures. But what I have to do, I have to stay in His Word, stay in the worship, stay connected into people, and prepare myself. It's like an athlete preparing for the big day that when my day comes, that I'll stand for that name. That I won't compromise it. That I'll be like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that we're studying on Wednesday nights now. And I'll say, hold on. Bless you, old king, but I'm not bowing to that idol right there. I'm not bowing. I think we need to prepare ourselves for that. Probably the most recognized example of that was a few years ago. The Coptic, Egyptian Coptic Christians were paraded out onto a, a beach. It was somewhere in the Middle East. I don't remember where it was. And they were told to deny their faith in Christ. And they had ISIS fighters standing behind them or be beheaded. That image has been plastered everywhere when it was going on. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't deny him. And they were beheaded. And I read this. It says, one wife said that her husband kept the faith and was martyred in the name of Christ. His faith was very strong. I'm proud of him. He has lifted our heads and honored us and all the Christians. He was martyred in the name of Christ. Another family member added, I'm very happy that my brother is in heaven with Jesus now. I loved my brother when he was alive on earth, but now I love him more than before. He was martyred in the name of Jesus Christ. They would not compromise it. They would not compromise it. Why does any of this matter? Why does any of this matter? First, we are saved for his name's sake. We're not, I'm not saved for my name's sake. I'm not faithful. He is. I'm not righteous. He is. He was righteous. He was faithful to death on a cross. Took my sin there. And now when I go up and I stand before perfectly righteous God, He saves me. He allows me into His presence for His name's sake, for His Son's name's sake, who was faithful when I was not faithful, who took my punishment. He say, I am saved for His name's sake. Psalm 79 and 9, Help us, O God, our salvation. For the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Not mine. Not mine. 
John 1 and 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believed in his name. When you believe in his name, he gives you the right to be called a son of God, a daughter of God, and he saves you for his name's sake. He leads us into righteousness for his name's sake. Why does he want us to live righteous lives? Why did he leave us with his Ten Commandments and his Holy Word? To make us miserable? I think some people think, yeah, he made, did it make me miserable. No. Did he do it so, oh, look how self-righteous I am. Look how holy I am. No. David said this in Psalm 23 and 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And he leads us into righteousness for his name's sake. We're safe in his name. Proverbs 18 and 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they're safe. One translation said strengthened. The name of the Lord often can be synonymous with his presence. When life is hard, maybe when you're feeling discouraged, run into the presence of the Lord. Get into his presence. There's salvation there. There's comfort there. Brother Matt, you and the team can come on up. And lastly, it doesn't matter if it's anti-Fauci. It doesn't matter if it's some world stage leader like Putin who's saber-rattling right now. It doesn't matter if it's Hollywood. It doesn't matter. Paul, talking to the church at Philippi, said this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of the God the Father. Make no doubt about it. The day's going to come when Christ is going to return. And every person who is on the earth at that time, every person who's in heaven at that time that comes with him, and every person who's dead and gone on before will come up and they will bow their knee to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and confess he's Lord. There's a song that says, One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. But still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Have you chosen him today? Is he your savior today? If, he, if he's not, he wants to be. He wants to be. And so as we've gone through this, as I've been through this, there's been times I realized, God, I didn't take your name as reverently as I should have. Maybe next time before you throw out an OMG in, in the uh, Facebook or something, you'll stop for a minute and just pause and say, you know, that name is special. It's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful name.